Hi there, this is Watching and you are now listening to I Choose the Ladder, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo. Would you like a weekly dose of career inspiration curated specifically for you, delivered to your inbox weekly? If you answered yes, then text CLIMB, C-O-I-M-B, to 66866 to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Memo. Each week, I'll deliver a newsletter that includes career resources, career lessons, job opportunities, and opportunities for you to invest in your professional development. The memo is also how you'll find out about upcoming events like the I Choose a Ladder Career Summit and our pop-up dinners. Getting all this is super easy. All you have to do is text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Amy Elisa Jackson. Amy Elisa is an established expert in entertainment and lifestyle journalism, content management, and social media strategy. She's currently the editorial director at Glassdoor.com, one of the fastest growing job sites. The Stanford University alum and proud LA girl has spent nearly 15 years as an award-winning journalist on both digital and print platforms. She serves as the lifestyle editor for Ebony Magazine, executing cover stories and exclusive interviews with Magic Johnson, Mariah Carey, and Mike Tyson. More recently, Amy Elisa has brought her talents to Silicon Valley, creating content for Legal League and Facebook. Amy Elisa kicked off her career at People Magazine, where she earned a coveted LA Press Club Award. She continues to work with top brands, both in print and digital media, such as Facebook, MSN, BET, Lexus, Essence Magazine, Latina Magazine, AOL Makers, Business Insider, Fast Company, and iVillage. An on-air entertainment expert, Amy Elisa has appeared on Good Morning America, E! News, Access Hollywood, and Inside Edition. Whether she's conducting a milestone interview or launching a new digital property, she handles it all with poise, passion, and a unique blend of sassy sophistication. Now, I'm going to admit, I was already a fan of Amy Lisa's before our interview, as you can tell by how fast I'm talking. You guys know when I get excited, I talk really fast. Um, But after our conversation, I officially became the president of the Amy Elisa Jackson fan club. She is amazing, y'all. During our conversation, we discuss everything from choosing a career path that is outside of your family's career path, the black girl bosses who inspire her, dealing with different seasons of your career, leaving the dream job to struggle, having the life of your dreams and then losing it shortly thereafter, adjusting to what is versus what you thought would be, why she hasn't chosen entrepreneurship, and being vocal about diversity and inclusion at work. I'm telling you all, this was one of my favorite episodes that I recorded. So as always, grab your favorite beverage, your notebook, and your pen and get ready to catch these gems because there are so, so many of them. Enjoy. Um, okay, so the recording just started. I'm knowing, did you see the questions in the... I did. Okay, we're going to start with, well, one, people see your title and probably have zero idea what it is that you do. So briefly, like, take me through, like, what do you actually do for a living? Sure. So I am the editorial director at Glassdoor, which is a jobs and recruiting company based in Silicon Valley. And my role is really to um, generate amazing content marketing um, to speak to both our job seekers and our employers. So I oversee all of our blogs, both domestically and internationally, as well as our social media channels and video. Um, And so our goal is really to sort of educate and empower 
job seekers in their career journey and then um, to help employers sort of tell their brand story about why they're an amazing place to work and why they can recruit amazing talent. So that's kind of what I do. I'm a former journalist turned marketer. And so like, it's a great space where, you know, journalism meets marketing, I would think, right? Because the content has to be attractive enough for people to want to actually consume. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been a wonderful journey, especially working at a place that has such a great mission. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't have the challenge where I'm trying to sort of sell people on something I don't believe in, you know, the job and career spaces truly near and dear to my own heart. Um, and I think it's important for people to sort of not only figure out how to get a job, but then navigating their career, climbing that ladder, um, as I have chose the ladder. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the mission of helping people everywhere find a job and company they love is, um, like really gets me excited every day. And we'll get to this um, a little bit later because as someone who is a trained journalist to choose corporate may not, like, you know, you have now there's the, all the freelance journalism and you have so many opportunities that are open to you. So the fact that you still continue to choose the ladder, we're going to get to why later on, but let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you get into corporate? Is this something that you always knew you'd be doing? Is it like a lifelong dream? How did it start for you? Sure. Um, it's interesting because I am the daughter and granddaughter of doctors. And so everyone is in the medical profession except for myself and my sister. Um, and <laughs> I knew that I always loved content. I loved magazines. I loved writing um, my whole life. And so my first sort of corporate job was at People Magazine. I started out as an intern um, in the Los Angeles Bureau of People Magazine. So that was relatively corporate because it was owned by Time Inc., and um, Karen Brailsford, who was another journalist, uh, she and I had a brief phone call where I told her my dreams, hopes, and aspirations as a young black woman. And she was like, grab a pen. And I said, girl, I already have one. <laughs> and so she said, this is who you call. So she gave me the numbers and gave me the insight and sort of the, the foot in the door, if you will. So I started out as an intern at People and uh, became a reporter and then a writer there and sort of worked my way up um, in the first five years of my career at People Magazine. Um, so, yeah. People, that's a, I feel like that's a pretty sexy first job. Like <laughs> It is a very I sexy like I was in the copy room. It's like, no, I was at People in L.A. Like, I, I had that. Because after that, like, you, may, you want to do it because People has exciting content and all those things. But, like, shout out to People Magazine. So I work for Time Inc., but in New York. Okay. So um, for you then, your family background, like they're all doctors. So what Mm -hmm. they do and their networks may not necessarily translate to like where it is that you want it to be. So how did you deal with like finding mentors and people, right? You had the one person who said, call these people. But in terms of mentorship, how has that looked like for you navigating something that may not be, you know, the path, like the family path? Absolutely. It was very challenging because I had to figure that out for myself. Um, My parents had basically the same jobs their entire life. My mom didn't have a resume. I mean, it's like she had been at the same hospital for her whole life. Um, And I remember uh, when I first told her I wanted to be a journalist, let me back up. When I first told her I wanted to be a journalist, she said to me, quote, well, you're not going to be able to afford Manolo's with that. (laughs) And I was like, Um, yes. Thank you, mother. Um, And she just wanted to make it very clear to me that (laughs) the lifestyle that I had grown up in uh, was not necessarily a uh, 
something that I could achieve as a journalist, uh, at least in her mind. And so um, I think I got really comfortable very early knowing that, you know, my parents weren't going to be able to provide me with the ins and outs in this very same way as they would have had I gone into a medical profession. And so for me, it was really that initial internship and job at People um, and networking a ton. I think being a part of Time Inc., uh, a part of a conglomerate, I was able to network with amazing journalists at Essence and at uh, Entertainment Weekly and at Time Magazine. And so I really depended on the more senior journalists at People Magazine, many of whom had Pulitzers, many of whom who had reported on really remarkable cases from OJ to Scott Peterson to like big, big um, reporting uh sort of trials and cases, I really relied on them for insight as to how to navigate my career and how I um, discovered seams. I think that's one of the things that I I have tried to do in my career is really find where I can um, flourish and do well, whether it is uh, reporting on sort of um, fitness trends like body and plastic surgery were really big in the early 2000s and the late 2000s. Um, and so, like, finding those niches that I could work in that proved to be very um, fruitful where I could really learn the beat um, was really important to me. So I found mentors throughout that. Um, and then also finding dear friends. Like, I think I always – my leak, Teal and I um, – so my leak and I actually started out as really good friends, like sort of sisters in the struggle – both making two nickels, not really earning a ton, but we started out in the industry together. And so we found camaraderie and sisterhood in just mentoring one another and and building each other up. So it was less about, you know, finding a mentor and saying, hey, can you be my mentor? It was learning. Don't do that. Like, don't find me. Oh, please do not ask. You've never met them and you're like, can you be my mentor? Like, that's Mm. kind of weird. No, ma'am, no. Uh, yeah, no, we, we, you know, you start as kind of friends and you start with like commonalities. And I think that that's exactly what my league and myself had done is kind of like, Hey girl, how are we going to learn this together? Who do you know that I know? Where do we need to be? Um, but it was less about identifying, Oh, you are my mentor. I don't think I've ever called someone my mentor. Um, it's really about like identifying what skills and traits Uh, other people have that I'm very interested in and then either speaking to them about that, um, meeting up for coffee, but also having a very clear exchange. How can I help you and how can you help me? Um, But I've never had someone that I call the mentor. Do you still look for those types of relationships at this point in your career? Because I think the perception is that like you become senior, you figure it all out and then you just give back all the time to people who are more junior. Like, are you still actively seeking those types of relationships? always seeking those types of relationships because no matter how high up on the ladder you get, um, there's always someone not only higher, but also someone who knows something that you don't. So it's less about who's above you that I necessarily look for. I look for people who have skills that I don't have in my arsenal, tools that I don't have in my toolkit. So whether that is really learning much more about, you know, marketing analytics or talking to people who have um, backgrounds in consulting or in engineering or whatever it might be, I'm always adding to the toolkit. And so 
um, especially now where learning is critical to um, and ongoing learning is critical to professional success. So, yes, I'm still, you know, there's never a point where you're not learning. There's never and there shouldn't be a point. Um, I don't care what your title is or how you know many zeros come after the commas. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and then look, thinking back, because when you said you were at people, I was thinking back to my time at Time Inc. too. And I came in with a class. I don't know if it would be the same, but was it very diverse when you were there? Um, interestingly enough, because it was Los Angeles Bureau, so we did have, you know, other magazines in the building, but it, um, it primarily was sort of advertising that was on the West Coast. And so no, like I was one of two, um, African Americans <laughs> in the building. And so it was myself and my colleague, Jessica Herndon. And we came in, basically, she came in just before I did. And so we kind of like thugged it out together, <laughs> um, uh, but no, it really wasn't uh, all that diverse. And sometimes that was a strain, but other times um, all you need is one. You know, I think that that's kind of what it taught me is like, as long as you have sisterhood in who's there, um, that was important. Also, um, the advertising team in essence, we were very, very close and supported one another, especially when things happened, whether it's, you know, Michael Jackson was passing or, you know, Kanye's office, like just different pinnacle little moments um, or just moments where you're like, hey, girl, do you want to go down the streets of the KFC and eat something like on the low? so that our colleagues uh, who are not black don't see us enjoying this two-piece and biscuit. <laughs> that happened many a time. Because <laughs> sometimes you just need a two-piece and biscuit. And you just need that community and the sisterhood. Um, but uh, so, yes, it wasn't very diverse, but um, it was enriching. It was definitely fulfilling and enriching. So as someone who's like navigated that space, right, and probably still at your level, you're still navigating being either the only or one of the only, like what advice do you give to other Black women who are maybe afraid to go into those environments because they're like, I'm not trying to deal with this mess today. Like, and so they make career choices that may not necessarily be in their best long-term interest. Mm -hmm. But for right now, it's like, I just can't, like, what would you say to that Black girl? I would say, uh, one, don't be afraid to be the only one because it's not as, um, some people, everyone has different experiences. It's for me being the only one, I am the only one in our marketing department at this juncture. Um, but I'm not the only one at Glassdoor. We have a growing, uh, African-American community here at Glassdoor. And so I feel very good about that, but um, I am so glad that I've chosen professional um, environments that really suited me and suited my goals. And so that to me meant more than, hey, who else is in the room? Now, um, I've been very vocal and said like, hey, you know, we really need to prioritize diverse hiring and supplier diversity, etc. Um, but I would really encourage women to make um, the decisions that work best for them in that moment. Right. Like I really believe in career chapters, whether that's two years or five years, like your policy or approach to um, diversity in the workplace changes. Right. Maybe your first job, um, you don't care because you're just trying to get your foot in the door. But when I was an editor at Ebony, I loved being a part of, a, you know, a historically African-American uh, core foundation 
um, to not only our community, but um, journalism as a whole. And so like I got a ton out of that and loved that experience of, you know, working alongside African-Americans. Um, but in my next role, that wasn't as vital to me. And when I was at Facebook, I thoroughly enjoyed the Black at Facebook uh, organization. And then I went to a startup where I was the only one. So I just think that it's really about defining what you need um, in the particular chapters that you're in. And I think that that's true for any part of your job, whether that's uh, salary, because there's going to be always a phase of time where you take a lower salary because the job seems uh, really exciting, or it's going to teach you a lot, or it's going to put you in a new stratosphere, or maybe um, you take on more work in another particular chapter because that really suits your needs. So it's really about identifying what you need um, and what is most important to you in those chapters um, and going forward in that sense. But I would never allow um, the lack of diversity in a space to deter you from a, um, a really great professional move. And so you've talked um, about a few chapters of your careers. Like, how do you know when it's time for you to move on? From a, like from a job or from a position? Yes. How do I know? I ask myself, have I done all I can do? Because I think that question, when you ask yourself, have I done all I can do? Um, calls into a few things, right? It calls into, have I reached my professional limit here? Um, have I reached the ceiling here at this particular company? Have I uh, contributed what I wanted to contribute there? Have I earned as much as I wanted to earn in this particular spot? So I think it's, you know, it's important to ask yourself that question. And that's kind of what I, the gut I go with. Um, yeah. And again, evaluating every opportunity, you know, just because someone says to you, one of the things that's super popular is right now is uh, on LinkedIn, right? Recruiters will reach out to you because we're in a fierce job market. Recruiters will reach out to you, headhunters, people will just reach out. Hey, girl, there's this opportunity. And that's all wonderful. But really, it's about evaluating, okay, in my current position, have I done all I can do? Um, have I achieved what I came here to achieve? Uh, and if that answer is yes, then you can look for other opportunities. But you're you really it's a, a weight game. You're looking for um, have you done all you can do? And then what's this next opportunity that could open up new doors or challenge me in a new way? Um, and can you think back to a time over your career where you maybe felt stuck? Right. Like maybe not necessarily in like I'm stuck at this company, although that's a real thing for certain people. And I think that comes from like lack of prior planning, but like mm -hmm. you are in a, in a, a project or something and you just feel stuck in like what you did to get unstuck. So there's never just one time to feel stuck um, or feel lost, if you will. Um, I find that those things are cyclical. I find that every couple months or every year I get stuck. Um, and so uh, for me, it's really about uh, making micro steps and taking micro steps um, versus a macro step versus some big pendulum swing. Um, one time that uh, I have felt stuck um, where I took a macro step, aka a very big change, uh, I was actually working still at People Magazine and just, and I was in New York. Uh, I had transferred to the New York office and I just kind of, I looked around and so many of the women who were my colleagues who were older never spent time with their kids, 
always worked. And I felt like we're just unappreciated uh, (laughs) and didn't get their due. And I knew I wanted to be a wife and mother. And I didn't see that track happening for me in New York. Like the idea of carrying a stroller down to the subway was not quite where I wanted to be. (laughs) And I didn't see, I didn't see other women doing it in a way that I thought I wanted to do it. And so, and just New York was just stressful for me. It you know, everyone says that it's like the best place to be. And, uh, you know, you could live your sex in the city life. Well, that wasn't it for me. For me, I was depressed. I was drinking way more wine and eating way more cheese than a girl should. Um, and I was like, I am miserable. I have this great apartment. I have great friends. You know, I had this like exciting job, but it just wasn't right for me. So I ended up quitting and moving back home to Los Angeles into my mother's house and just like trying to refigure out what I was trying to do. So that was a moment where I just felt stuck going in the wrong direction, um, where I made like a very significant change. But other times when I'm feeling stuck or kind of feeling really quickly. So you made that change. Then what happened? Right. Like, I feel like that's the part of the story that's missing. Like, yeah, first of all, your mom was like, I told you that there's no journalism thing. You can't. Doing this, but like, what happens? Like, so now you go from being completely independent in New York, living your best, you know, life. Right. Now you're like back with mom. Like, yes. what, what? What? I moved home um, with my mom, and, <laughs> and that was an adjustment. But it actually, and I didn't really have a job. Um, uh, I started freelancing for friends of mine who ended up moving to different companies. Um, so one was at iVillage and she was really awesome. So she gave me uh, a freelance opportunity. Then I started freelancing for MSN and I ended up sort of going on full time as an editor there. Um, but it was really like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It was, it was not sexy. It wasn't any of the things that you you know thought it would be. Um, but yeah, I moved home. Um, I remember that my mom uh, actually had uh, already paid for my sister and I to go visit my cousin in South Africa. She was living there at the time. So we flew to South Africa. We were like living our best lives. But here I am like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I did not have money. And but it was like, OK, I've got to get myself. I have to reset. I have to recalibrate. I was just so depressed in New York. Um, I ended up traveling. I backpacked and stayed in $6 hostels in Thailand. I found a ticket from South Africa via four stops to get to Thailand. <laughs> and then I backpacked solo through Thailand to get my life. Um, yeah, those are the, like, you, have, sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah. Sometimes those are just those things. But again, I was able to reset, recalibrate, come back, live with my mom, um, freelance um but it was just recognizing okay i have bills to pay i have things to do uh but i definitely needed a minute to kind of get my headspace together um so i kind of rebuilt but yeah there were a lot of people who were like girl you left the dream job and now here you are struggling bus <laughs> yes that happened. Looking back on that time though how did that help shape how you approached your career post that decision the key way that it changed how I approached my career was that in leaving People Magazine, a lot of people, my network, my contacts, there were many people who 
quote unquote, forgot about me. You know, you step out of an industry and you take time off and people are like, girl, if you're not in it, then you got, you know, I don't know you. Um, so, and I know, but the, but the people who are really your network will always know, love and respect you. Like that's not, you know, that's not at issue. But what happened was I was no longer Amy Elisa Keith, my maiden name, uh, from People Magazine. You know, you, I was just Amy Elisa Keith. And the lesson I learned was being able to trade just on your name, not your name, comma, where you work. Mm. Uh, Leek and I talk a lot about that because she experienced some of the same thing. It's, you, you can't rely on the People Magazine or the Ebony or the Facebook like, or these titles, these names, you have to rely on your work ethic and what you bring to the table. And <laughs> so it's like, that's the thing I learned was like, how can I just be Amy Elisa Keith now, Amy Elisa Jackson, just on my own, no matter where I work, no matter if I have a business card or not, no matter whether I am, you know, reporting for people or reporting for broke.com, broke slash broke slash ain't got it. Dot com. <laughs> like, you get really comfortable with just your name. Um, and that's all you have. That's that fear is what keeps people in jobs longer than they should be. Absolutely. When I had the, the choice between leaving Yahoo to go and work for like a name that like my parents couldn't brag to their friends about. It was super scary. It's like when you say my daughter works for Yahoo, like everybody knows what it is. There's a certain like level of assumption that happens. But then you say, oh, my daughter works for Unite for Good. And they're like, what? Right? Like, mm-hmm. There's an identity that's tied into the... Very much so. And the fear of being like, well, what am I, what am I going to say that I'm doing? Or people who freelance, like, well, I don't go to networking events because like, what am I going to say when they ask me, what do I do? And you don't have that like name behind it. So super right. dope. And that's such a crutch for all of us. Uh, that's why people stay in, like, that's many times why people stay at particular corporate jobs, because they like to say, my name is such and such from this big name place. And they're worried about what happens when I'm not, you know, identified or uh, recognized by that. Do, you know, and can I get off of that ladder and jump to another one? Um it instills a lot of fear. And it's interesting because I think a lot of companies trade on that. They want you to feel like you're nothing without them or that you can't have another opportunity or you won't be able to travel or speak on panels, mm-hmm. et cetera, if you don't have X company's name after yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really have to be mindful of that and how much you're relying on that. Mm. Yeah, because and like they'll use that for salary things. It's like, you know how many people want to work for this company? It's like, yeah, well, we're not talking about them. Like we're talking about we're me. Talking about me and we're talking about my worth and my value and what I contribute to this company. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about some black girl stuff. So shocked to see the the hair, y'all. This hair is everything. The curls <laughs> are popping today. Right? <laughs> Have you thought day three? Day three. <laughs> <laughs> Have you given much thought to like, because I feel like there is a black woman corporate haircut, right? It's either like the short pixie or like the long blowout. And we're starting to see more variations or more things that are becoming acceptable. But like, how do you think about hair as someone who's in leadership, who wears her hair naturally when, you know? Yes. Um, I've always been conscious of my hair. It's, um, 
because that's how I was raised. You know, like I wasn't raised with this, like, bring your full self to work. Like I wish that I was, I wish that I was, you know, the, raised with be unapologetically yourself. I'm still learning that. I think, um, I do benefit from, um, having great curls and, uh, you know, a stylist, et cetera. Like I recognize those are privileges. Um, and so I don't take it for granted. I think I've always been conscious of it and it's still a challenge for me because I'm trying to be myself um, while still being approachable in, in the sort of business world. And I don't want my hair to be a topic of conversation in meetings. So you're not really going to catch me like curly one day. And then with the, the Cardi B, you know, like colorful wig, like I wish I could be Cardi B and switch it up every day, but I just don't have that confidence. Um, and so I think you have to do you, (laughs) <laughs> but I, I definitely give it lots of thought. So when I change my hair, I'm like, okay, are they ready for it? <laughs> like, does this still look like me? Like, how many comments am I going to get? Like when I got like boho faux locks, people were like, oh my God, I love your hair. It's so Lisa Bonet. It's like, I don't really want my hair to be a topic of conversation. Like I just did it because it's the summertime and I'm trying to give my edges a rest. <laughs> like, so Lisa Bonet, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. Corporate is becoming more accepting of the way absolutely show up. I think absolutely, corporate is becoming more accepting. I think laws that are being passed, especially there's just one here in California, um, preventing discrimination based on natural hair. I think companies are becoming much more um, embracing of uh, diversity as it presents in many different ways. But it's really about who you are and what you want to bring to work, what you're most comfortable with. Uh, I am not someone who is, you know, super comfortable with like changing my hair every other day. Um, Some people were built that way and love it and do it for the YouTube. And I'm like, I'm here for you, sis. I will watch the video and double click. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think it's still something that I'm working with being and and working on um, being unapologetically myself, someone that I look to on probably a daily basis, just because of social, is uh, Bozema St. John, the CMO of Endeavor. Everything. She's everything. And I look at her and I've I've had the chance to meet her. And um, I am so inspired just by how she presents in a room, just tall and beautiful and nails pop and hair changed, like beautiful colors and prints and like, I want to get to that place where I can, you know, embrace my full self um, in whatever shape that takes. And I think seeing her as a dynamic leader in a space who builds up amazing talent. Yes, she jet sets and travels the world and speaks, et cetera. But from also what I understand, she's an excellent leader um, and she's someone who really delivers on her work and uplifts her team, et cetera. And so I want to be one that type of leader, but someone who can walk into a room and be a hundred percent themselves. Yeah. And so another thing that I think um, changes as you get more senior is communication style, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, do you think about, you know, the stereotypes around being an angry black woman and making sure that your communication doesn't come across to this or to that or not enough this, or like, how have you approached that? 
communication is still a challenge for me um, in corporate America, as as you probably know, and, and your listeners probably know. Um, there is a lot of uh, critical feedback given. There's review cycles, etc. And one of the things that one of the pieces of feedback I almost always receive is about my nonverbal communication skills. So I've always been expressive. My kindergarten teacher was the first one to write on my report card that Amy is very expressive with her facial features. <laughs> I've always been this way. My mom calls it spunky, which I kind of hate, but neither here nor there, but I'm expressive. And so, um, so communication has always been a challenge for me and it's something I constantly work on. I do have a leadership coach um, and someone that I work with. So I try to balance um, being my authentic self with uh, making sure that my intentions are what come across. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, if I eye roll, it's not because I'm trying to be disrespectful. It's because in my mind, I think, you know, that's probably not the greatest idea. Um, or that, you know, that approach is probably not as popping as you think it is. Uh Um, But I never want to make anyone on my team uh, or who works with me feel smaller and so, or feel less than. And so my communication has got to be uh, a reflection of my actual intent. And Uh so that's really what I've been working on. Um, But at the same time, I've been encouraging my company to embrace diverse styles of communication. Right. In the very same way that people have different work styles. Um, Some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some people like to work from home. Some people like, you know, the open office environment. Some people hate it. Um, I've been trying to encourage diverse styles of management and communication because I think that it's important that we recognize um, all styles and uh, how people contribute. Um, in their way. So yes, I, I definitely have been working on communication. I've never been called an angry black woman. Um, but I'm definitely very conscious of that stereotype for sure. Uh, in giving feedback or in responding to something. Um, outside of your education, right? So for people who are thinking about ways to develop themselves to become, you know, ready for that next step. So outside of your education, what's the best investment that you've made in your career? Two things. Ongoing education, classes, boot camps, online webinars, trainings, etc. It's key. The second thing is taking risks. Um, stepping into um, the thing that is scary and is makes you afraid. Uh, those are the two things that I think have really been the best investments in my career um, and things that I've done to really kick my career up a notch, um, trusting in my skills uh, and knowing that, okay, if I can learn something, I can execute on it. And so by taking classes, whether those are continuing education classes at UCLA or at Stanford or, or online through Skillshare, like that's been really big, but then also sort of taking a risk when I wasn't 150% sure, when I was 70% sure, but still taking that chance, taking on that stretch assignment, that new project, uh, speaking at a panel that I just was like, I hope I'm giving them what they need. Like those risks have really helped my career. Um, so t- speaking about risks, right, I think that from what I've gathered in conversations, people avoid risks because like the higher profile you are, the more people see when you make mistakes, right? So it's like mm-hmm. a fear of like, I'm not trying to be the one who is out here and not making mistakes and then I get dragged through the internet. And can you think about a time where a specific mistake maybe earlier in your career that you made 
what you and you thought like this is it for me or this is like career swiss or whatever the negative thing may be and looking back now it's something that's helped you um as you become more senior in your career it's interesting because my personality like I know a lot of people can give you um, an answer. I made this mistake, but then I learned from it and I'm a better person. You know, I am one, I'm a self-hazer. Uh, ask my profile. I'm a self-hazer and do it to myself. So any and every mistake I've made in my life, whether it has been the poor performance of singing in my high school choir or uh, a mistake I've made professionally, those things I hold on to. Those are things that I keep almost very close to me, probably too close. Um, and I don't necessarily know that I've been like made a better person because of those mistakes, but they keep me very humble. Mm -hmm. They are the chin check. Um, they keep me, and many people will tell you like they probably keep me too humble um, or keep me from my greatness because I'm, you know, lingering and thinking about my mistakes yeah, um, your high school choir I'm like girl oh girl mm -hmm. still think about it I'm like damn and <laughs> together I'm like that was just such a low moment and does anybody remember that no I however remember that um so yes I think that mistakes can absolutely hinder you is that something I'm still working on um that self-doubt absolutely um because those mistakes stay with me everybody else will be moved on and have thought of it and I'm like I'm still a bad person I really should have done better should have prepared um so those things keep me humble um so it's less about kind of learning from the mistake and more about like don't get too big for your bridges <laughs> mm. That, that, at least that's how I approach it. Um, but again, I'm a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. I'm nobody's testimony. Not quite yet. <laughs> the Lord ain't through with you yet, girl. <laughs> Thank um, you. So thinking about the way, you know, you talk about the mistakes that you make and, you know, could some of them could be career, not ending, but hindering. Yeah. Are there common things that you see young Black women doing in the workplace that their counterparts may not be that could be hindering the pace of their progression? Yes. Um, many times women and people of color, but I think specifically the double minorities, women, people of color, um, we tend to become too overwhelmed or too busy to make a business case for our own advancement, for our own resources, for our own sanity. We want to be the utility player for everyone. We want to be the go-to for everyone. We stay busy, like that hustle culture. Um, we we double tap and like those images a little too much. We love to be the hustler. We love to be strong. We love to, again. And I think that um, by not setting boundaries and by not recognizing your limitations, you're not able to make strategic moves um, because you're just so busy. You're so overwhelmed. You're in so busy doing that you're not able to rise above that and look for the strategic opportunity, look for how to move and shake uh, and find seam. I think uh, many of our non-Black counterparts are not um, bogged down by some of the things that we tend to take on um, and do. And so they're able to make moves. They're able to say, well, excuse me, sorry, I'm unable to take on this assignment because my bandwidth is really stretched too far. But if I had an additional headcount, 
I feel strongly that I would be able to deliver on what you need. That's a very different conversation um, than what I think women of color, we tend to do is like, sure, I will make it happen. Like I will pull a rabbit out of a hat, turn water into wine. I will work 47 more hours this week in order to make that happen. Well, I think as women of color, we come from a very long line of doers and strength. And we have been very much so encouraged and programmed to endure and be strong and um, hustle. I think it's not just, oh, Instagram is like telling us to be a hustler, but then also, you know, we've seen our mothers and our aunts and our grandmothers do so much with so little. It really is ingrained in us. And I don't care if you are from Natchez, Mississippi or Accra, Ghana, we all got the same message of the hustle and strength of the black woman. And I think that it is truly remarkable um, that that is in us, but it does present um, a challenge when you're trying to climb the ladder and be a much more strategic thinker and someone who can recognize okay, here's how my, I need these resources. Here's how my team can grow. Here's what we need in order for the business to succeed. Um, You taking on 80 hours of work um, is not for the business's success. It's just 80 hours of work on you. Um, And knowing what you know now about success in corporate and what it actually takes, what would you say to like a young black girl at Stanford to help make, like what could she be doing now to help make the cultural transition from like academic living to act the expectations of corporate a little bit smoother, or a little bit easier. Hmm. The advice I would have for young women is um, I would say recognizing that life is about seasons. And so like there is a season to grind. Uh, you know, I really do believe in Ecclesiastes 3. Like, there is a season to grind it out, but then there's also a season to kick it, and there is a season um, to transform, like, really recognizing that the grind uh, is not forever, and the hustle is not forever, but also the kick it is not forever. Uh, And so really being very clear and intentional about um, what season you're in and what season you want to be in is important. So if you're uh, a wonderful African-American woman graduating from Stanford University, turn up. (laughs) Um, It's really important to say, okay, the first three to five years of my um, post-collegiate career are really going to be grind time. And, um, that's like, you just have to acknowledge that, but at no point do you need to, um, be in the kick it zone. <laughs> like there are going to be some things that you just have to kind of suck up and, and deal with and struggle through. And that's okay. It's going to be grind. It's going to be struggle. Um, but it's important to just recognize that that's the time that it's going to be. And then thinking about, okay, this next season is going to be potentially me investing in my personal life and me investing in travel or me investing in whatever it might be, but carving those things out and being really intentional about what you want for each season, I think is really important. Um, The other piece of advice I would give um, new college graduates is um, please do not judge your first quarter by my third quarter. Um, do not look at amazing women 
you know, like a Bevy Smith or uh, Miley Teal or Carlene Roy from the Vanity Group or, you know, Kalana Barfield or Elaine Welteroff, like they're in their third quarter. Like you cannot gauge your first quarter by their third or fourth. Like Bevy Smith has been in this game for 25, 30 years. years like, yes. He's remarkable and has had multiple seasons and multiple chapters of her career, whether she was on the advertising side at, at magazines or beauty companies or like, so judging your starting line by their mid, mid marathon, um, you're setting yourself up for, um, for disappointment and depression. And, and, lots, yeah. lots of and you're trying to judge yourself and be able to be at the Essence Fest and, you know, going to Istanbul with your girls and, you know, buying all the flyest things. Like it took us a long time. We were in a lot of H&M outfits before we got to the Bottega. OK, like it is not vital for you to have all of the things that people have further on in their career. Um, and I think it's really challenging for women now because of social media, because you see all of that. When I was young and first breaking in, we didn't, I couldn't see what Bevy was doing unless I knew Bevy. And because I know Bevy, like, that's the only reason I was able to know how she moved and how she shook. Like you now with social, you're able to see the Nyjah Kukendalls and the other women who are just really doing amazing things. But again, you have to remember that these women are in their 40s. These women are very seasoned. These women have had multiple chapters. Like Demetria Lucas has had an amazing career thus far that has enabled her to be on the main stage at Essence Fest. Mm -hmm. um, Corey Murray, amazing career in order to be on that stage. But before that, she wasn't there at 23. Um, and so, like, you really cannot judge your first quarter by um, by the third quarters. Yes, you should be inspired, um, but you always have to remind yourself, I don't know what they were doing at 22. Mm -hmm. And what we were doing at 22, we were not in any way, shape, size, or form balling out of control like people are now. It just... Like, and so, yes, we're on beaches now, but that's because the hustle was ha had been done. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, like people got the, the villas now because the hustle was there. Mm -hmm. Carlene was not, not, you know, curating amazing events at 21. Like she was building her business. She was sleeping in a bunk bed as a grown woman in Diddy's house, grinding it out. Grinding it out. What I'll add to what you said for the first one around the seasons, right? I would argue you can start working on that in college. What are the seasons of your academic career? Is it the first six weeks of the semester I'm grinding and then I get to kick? Like, start practicing those things now mm -hmm. so that you have the habits and the discipline when it's tied to your livelihood. So your yeah. college career, like, look at it in that way. Like, like she said, like, there are seasons and make sure that you are clear on those. And the second thing is social media, you're always seeing it out of context, so, so yes, you're on the beach now, but there is no, you don't know the beginning, the middle or the end. You just see it like a standalone snapshot moment in time and it's not in context. So chill out, chill yeah. out. It's really hard uh, to gauge that. It, it takes a lot of work um, to make something look amazing on Instagram. It just does. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of work to get there and a lot of behind the scenes. Um, and so I would just tell people to like, embrace uh, the season that you're in and do the best that you can in the season that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Um, and then the last question before the lightning round, you mentioned that one of the reasons or the primary driver of leaving New York is like you wanted a full life, right? You didn't yeah. just want to be working all the time and you wanted, you know, family and hobbies and like a life. So how do you balance being a really ambitious career woman with all the other parts of your full life? So um, how do I balance? I don't know if balance, I don't know if balance is really possible, but um, I had, you know, me pulling myself out of New York and me sort of slowing my life down a little bit absolutely paid off. Um, I met the love of my life. I got married, amazing wedding, all of the things. Um, I've achieved every goal that I set for myself, um, except for having children. Um, that's not something that I'm physically capable of. Um, and, you know, I've been sort of like nurturing that over the past couple of years and figuring out, okay, so what do I do? <laughs> um, and I think over the past, I would say I'm probably five months into trying to explore what does life look like if I don't have children? Like, what is it? Because I want to be a stay at home wife and mom. Like, oh, I want to like cut the crust off of sandwiches and all the things, girl, all the things. Um, I want to do all the soccer games, child, all of it. Um, but I'm trying to sort of think about what that looks like and I'm taking my time. So I'm traveling a ton right now. I'm traveling and I'm spending a lot of time with my friends. Um, that's, that's how I balance. So I'm like all in at work and then I travel almost every weekend to see friends. Um, because I don't really have like a, a huge network here in the Bay Area. Um, I moved here to be with my husband and, and this is like our, um, this is our home. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, okay, like how do I still spend time and invest in my sisters and my friends and my, you know, like all of the relationships. So I travel quite a bit. Um, to see them, to spend time and to pour into their lives and have them pour into me. So there's not a wedding or a baby shower or a thing I don't go to because um, I want to figure out what's next. And so I balance by doing that. Um, so I'm in a season of travel. I'm trying to say yes more to things. People be like, girl, let's go out for drinks. And I'm like, uh, I'm a natural homebody. I'm a natural introvert. Um, so my natural tendency is to like be at home with my dog Beanie, but I, uh, am trying to say yes to more and travel more. So that's how I balance. It's grind during the week and friends on the weekend. And so how has that identity shift, right? Mm -hmm. shift because I mean, you may still be a stay at home mom and it may just look differently, but like, how has that shift impacted the importance or the the level of importance that you put on the, the work stuff? So um, I think that it has really shifted how much I invest in work. Um, becoming a widow in 2016 really um, like just shocked me, took it out of me. I just didn't know what was, what was happening. And so um, after taking six months off of work and getting back into the professional, um, I threw everything into my career. There wasn't a time that I was not working. Like I prided myself on my work. I could do that well and not have to really think about grief or think about a lot of other things. And so um, building up a strong career like the past three years, I think has been my season. Um, but it also has allowed me to um, have the money to um 
invest in fertility treatments and explore that as an option. And, you know, it's, it, you know, has not been as successful as I would have hoped, but investing in the professional and succeeding professionally has buoyed me. And it's given, again, it's given me the money to be able to travel and to be able to invest in IVF and other things. And so it, um, I just find that this is the season of grinding, um, for, for me personally, but it has, it's opened other doors for me professionally. And so I don't necessarily, uh, I don't see, you know, there being a a super ton difference into how I see myself. Um, I just think that investing in my career has allowed me the flexibility to um, spend money on the things that I need to for my personal life. Yeah. And then that may answer this next question, but like with all of the, the buzz around, you know, entrepreneurship and like you are friends with some pretty boss Ooh. entrepreneurs yeah. and like, and maybe this is why you haven't made the leap because you know the real deal about being an entrepreneur because you get to see it up close and personal. But mm-hmm. like, what has kept you on the ladder? If you like, you know, everybody makes you're in the bay. Like that is like the sexiness of entrepreneurship. Like what are you doing on the ladder still? It's so funny. Um, I, my hat is tipped and goes off to the women who want to be entrepreneurs. I have, you know, Erica Douglas, sister scientist, like, like MC, like she's remarkable. I have never been the chick who wants to be an entrepreneur. I love a steady paycheck. I love that check every two weeks. Child, I know when my bills are getting paid. I know what's happening. I know how much I have to work with. I like, I still like that. Um, and so for me, I, uh, entrepreneurship is just so daunting. So I can't really do it, but <laughs> my hat goes off to those who can. Um, yeah, I just don't have that desire. But recognizing that um, is, I think, really important. But also, um, I've seen many women go into entrepreneurship because corporate America didn't suit them, quote unquote, or they couldn't bring their full selves. Now, that may be something. Um, but be very cautious of going into entrepreneurship because something else didn't work. Entrepreneurship is not a fallback plan. Entrepreneurship is not the, oh, this is my way of making Vogue magazine because they didn't hire me. Like, that's not, (laughs) I'd be very um, surprised if anyone was ever successful in entrepreneurship as their fallback. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just say that it's either, entrepreneurship is either in you or it's not. I particularly love working with a team um, and I love the um, sort of the corporate America that I have been a part of, um, which is a very different brand than a Wall Street or, you know, Michigan ad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, like entrepreneurship just isn't for me. Yeah. Running from as opposed to running to is what they say. Like, are you running from the job or are you running to a passion? A passion. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- lightning round questions don't much um what's one piece piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career i wish i was told to listen more Mm. what's (laughs) a career lesson that took you the longest to learn but it's had the biggest impact on your career to listen more (laughs) (laughs) listen just don't give up there is so much just listen just listen What's one book that you could read over and over again? Two books. Um, Langston Hughes, uh, The Best of Simple, and Their Eyes Are Watching God. Uh, those are my two go-tos. 
Um, and then the last question is, we know that most career decisions are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? I hope that people say Amy Lisa Jackson is smart, funny, and irreplaceable. Ooh, that's a good one. And on that note, we will end the interview. Thank you so, 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 so much for your time. Thank um, you. I get to be a fangirl forever now because you weren't a weirdo in the interview. <sighs> amazing. There is no reason to be a fan, girl. We are all in the in the sisterhood struggle together. So thank you so much for your time and for your passion in this project. I Choose the Letter is an awesome, awesome platform. So thank you. I told you all she was amazing. She literally was so open and shared so much about her journey. Um, and there's a lot of things that she talked about that struck a chord. But as always, I picked the top three things that I plan to hold close to me and, you know, think about, meditate on, and maybe implement in in my life. Um, the first one is that if you can find sisterhood in the workplace, that can be game-changing for you. Um, the second thing is entrepreneurship is not a fallback plan. I know a lot of people, uh, we talk about entrepreneurship all the time on the podcast and why people choose to stay in corporate versus pursuing entrepreneurship. And I loved when she said that entrepreneurship is not a fallback plan. And I think the last thing, the third thing that I found really interesting was how she talked about dealing with mistakes and just admitting that like, she wasn't there yet. She's not at the place where she can say, I learned this and I learned that. She's still really hard on herself. And I think being honest about that really helped me be honest with myself about how tough I can be um, when it comes to me making mistakes and, and taking on challenges and changes. And um, I just really appreciated her like candidness uh, as we talk about mistakes. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, there are three ways to do it. First, subscribe to the newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. That's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Or you can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder. Until next time, thank you for listening.